0: Evening. I'm Pastor Eric, Associate Pastor Eric Corbett, filling in for Pastor Rick this evening. And tonight we're going to um, talk about um, serving. And Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 is going to be our scripture verse for the evening. And I will read that reads, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And tonight's uh, message is entitled, Two Masters or One Lord. And so this is a very familiar verse. If you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've probably read it, um, may have it memorized. And these are the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount where he's laying out foundational principles for those who are entering the kingdom of God. And being a follower of Jesus Christ means that you're going to have to focus. Uh, It's not uh, to be overly distracted by things of this world or things that will take away from our devotion to him. And because a critical component to the life in Christ is service, um, this is important to understand. And so if we're going to serve, it's going to take everything we've got. We can't fully serve if we're serving more than one master, so to speak. So we must be wholly committed to the one that we serve. So the word master um, means someone who has control or authority over another, uh, someone who's an owner. And slaves and servants both have a master. A master can be bad or the master can be good. And so we have some examples in Scripture of uh, both. Uh, some examples we'll look at first, there are examples of some bad masters, and um, the Egyptians, when the children of Israel were uh, in captivity in Egypt, um, we have an example of how they treated them, and they were masters over them in that land, and they didn't treat them well, um, especially after Joseph had died. And we look at Exodus chapter 1, uh, and starting in verse 8, and this is what it says about how the Egyptian masters treated Their their slaves, the children of Egypt. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Verse eleven. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities. At them in Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in an all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. And that word rigor that they used is, is harshness. So they, they, it wasn't a picnic. Um, They they were treated um, horribly um, because of these masters, the Egyptians, were were fearful. And so um, they were an example of a bad master. Because the master is an authority, uh, a master has control over those who serve them. And there are masters who seek to maintain control through fear, and that's what the Egyptians were doing. Oftentimes, the master will serve through fear because they're afraid of something themselves. And, of course, in this example, the Egyptians were uh, afraid that the, uh, the Israelites would overtake them and, and join with their enemies. But they were also fearful of losing their slave labor, their workforce, their, their livelihood. So because of that, that drove them to treat the, uh, the, the slaves as they were, um, despitefully and with, with, with rigor. And Satan is uh, the ultimate example of a bad master. He's not just a bad master, but he's also a merciless, cruel, and a wicked one. Um, you don't want any of those. There's there's nothing good you can ever expect from him if he's your master, because he only looks out for himself and that, and only for what he's after. So, <clears throat> you know, there are people in the world that think for whatever reason, they've been duped and believe that siding with Satan is a good thing, that they will come out on the, on the good end of that. You know, oh yeah, you know, talking about ruling in hell and all of that kind of stuff. And they're they utterly wrong because Satan doesn't care about them. You know, the Bible tells us that he took a third of the angels with him when he rebelled and they sided with him. Do you think that they're all chummy and he, <laughs> he takes them out to dinner and stuff like that? No, he, he commands and rules with fear. He's just as cruel and fierce with them as he is with those who are of the people of God and, and anybody else. He's, he's not a good master. He is, a, he is the epitome of an evil and a wicked master. And so the world, because it doesn't submit to the authority of the Lord, is mostly an unwitting servant of the devil. And, and his devices, because they, you know, they just don't know that he's, he's not for them. And in First John five nineteen, it tells us that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. <clears throat> so the world goes off and does what it thinks it's, you know, profitable in doing. And unless they're submitted to the authority of the Lord, they are under the authority and the, the rulership and the mastership of Satan. And we see that play out, <clears throat> excuse me, we see that play out over and over again in all sorts of different ways. So we need to be careful. So be careful if you have a position of, of authority or influence um, that you don't have a, an agenda that's strictly your own. Because you're in danger of not having an agenda that is Christ's. You're in danger of, of doing things kind of like Satan does. He's, he's only, he's only going to do things favorable to those that, are, that he's a master over to, to, to manipulate things for his own good. And when you have your own agenda and that's all that you're solely focused on, you can potentially fall into the same trap. And so the caution is for us is that, you know, we're to have the, the, an agenda and that lines up with Christ, especially if we're in a position of authority or influence. So uh, those are some examples, of course, of, of bad masters. But there are also some examples of good masters that we see in the Scripture. And one that we'll look at um, in the Old Testament is the Syrian general Naaman. And uh, in 2 Kings chapter 5, we, we read about this man. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. So here this man Naaman also has a master. But he is a master himself. And we read on. Excuse me. It says, verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So here's this young lady who is a captive. (laughs) And she was captured uh, from the land of Israel. But... Apparently, Naaman treated her well. She wasn't treated spitefully so much so where she understood that he had this condition. And her desire was to see him relieved of this condition. That's obviously an indication that she looked at him at the very least favorably. But it's more than that. She wanted good for her master. Uh, she didn't see him as someone that was not to be treated well. You know, she wasn't walking around saying, I hope his nose falls off today. <laughs> you know, I mean, that wasn't her attitude. Her attitude was he's he's suffering, you know, and he's he's a good man. I want to see something good happen to him. I want him to be healed of this leprosy. And there's this prophet in Israel that that can do him some good. Later on, a couple verses down, we look at in um, verse 12 of Second Kings, chapter five. And other servants of Naaman's household look at him favorably also. So he goes to see, uh, the prophet Elisha and Elisha goes to tell him to dip in the river and he'll be healed of his leprosy. And Naaman thinks that that's silly and he gets upset and and doesn't want to follow that. And we pick it up in verse 12, it says, um, Arna, this is his response to, to what, uh, what he thought was contrary to what Elijah told him to do. He says, Are not the Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Verse 13, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? And the interesting thing to, this, to, to pull out of this here is that his servants, they say, they call him father. They say, my father. This is a term of endearment. So these servants of Naaman, they cared for him. So it's, we can glean from this that he was a master that was not unfair. He was not overbearing. He as in fact, he won people, people that were subject to his authority and his commands they did it, and they did it willingly because of how he treated them. He didn't treat them spitefully. He didn't. He was not a, a bad or a wicked man. And, of course, the story bears that out uh, with more of his character. So um, Naaman is an example of a, of a good master. And in the New Testament, we have um, the centurion um, that had the, the servant that was sick. And every time we see these centurions, they, they stand out as, as noble men. And we look at this in Luke chapter 7, verse 2. Um, It says, And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And so here is another master who not only probably, more than likely, uh, well, well, it, it tells us that he was looked favorably upon by the people, but he also treated his servant well. His servant was sick, and he's like, you know, I care for this, this person. I want them to be healed and to be well. So I'm, I, I've heard about this, this prophet from, from Galilee, and I'm going to take him to, to Jesus. And so this is another example of a good master. So we have examples of good masters and bad masters, but uh, a master doesn't necessarily have to be a person. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 tells us, it says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So here we have, it, the Bible clearly tells us that you can be a slave to sin. Um, and of course, without being born again, that is the state that you're in. But you come to the Lord and be freed from that through through Christ. You can become a slave to righteousness where you are obedient and under the the rule and the authority of of righteousness and so in our passage and um uh, that we have this evening in matthew six twenty four, uh, jesus uses the example of money or riches as a master it says he says you cannot serve god and mammon and of course mammon was a was a was a of a a pagan God. And it it came to symbolize power, uh, was connected to money and riches. And so, uh, Jesus says that you can't serve the living God and serve this other device that you have this other master. Uh, and money can be a master. Um, the Bible tells us that the, the money is a root of all evil. In other words, it can, it can lay hold of you it can It can get deep into your heart and do things that will cause you not to to live according to christ and so um that's one of the the warnings one of the things that we are warned of of, of being a master is is money um, but what are some other things that can be masters in our lives um power you know there are some people that are you know power hungry they're they're all we see it played out. <laughs> In, in governments, in places of position, I mean, before our very eyes, and it's disgusting most often, um, to see people who are are thirsty only for power. They they want more of it. They have it. They have power and authority, and they can't get enough of it. They want to retain it. They want to hold on to it. And and they don't know it, but they're enslaved by that. When someone who has power, who is has a power lust, and that power is threatened, oh, brother, you better watch out because <laughs> um they they'll they 'll come for your throat, and um so someone who is under that is being mastered by that. Uh, what are other things that we can see people mastered by um drugs or alcohol, things like that very easily can get in and and, and just and just just wreak havoc in the in the life of the individual and also people around them um, work something that Pretty much all of us have to do, except for maybe, you know, there's people today that feel like they don't have to work. It's another story. But um, most of us have to work for a living, you know, to, to earn money and to, to have sustenance to do things and to live. And work can be a master. Um, you know, there are demands that work can place on you. And you have to, to balance that out because we have an obligation as, uh, you know, to serve as unto the Lord, to work as unto him. Uh, for a good witness, but um, you know you can let that take over also. And and how many people have done that? Have sacrificed you know relationships, family, um, health, things like that for work because that <laughs> that taskmaster is cracking that whip, man. And every you know, the next day the sun goes up and you got to go to work. Um, and and they let it rule in their lives in ways that it really shouldn't. And uh, again, we have to do that but you have to be careful to guard yourself against letting these things uh, overrule in your life because we're supposed to have one ruler. We're supposed to have one master and, uh, work is not it. Um, pleasure. That's something that can be a master. And there are people that (laughs) they're all about having the good time. If, if they can't have fun, if it's not entertaining for them, they don't want to have anything to do with it. And, um, you know, you can have people that that they don't do anything because, you know, OK, they've got to have to get their fun on first. And so um, pleasure uh, can be a master and one that we can all easily or maybe not some easier than others fall victim to is emotions. Um, we have them. They're from God. We're supposed to be able to feel things, um, uh, from, you know, and within reason, the, the caboose is not to run the train. Um, but that's what can happen. You can be run by your emotions. Your emotions can master you. Uh, whether that's anger, whether it's whether it's you know fear, whether it's sorrow, whether it's you know um, you know enjoyment, silliness. <laughs> Who doesn't like to have fun? But you can you can go overboard with it. But um, these things are to be in control. We're not supposed to allow our emotions to dictate our actions. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 28, speaking of emotions and not having any control over them, uh, Proverbs 22:28: whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And uh, you know, have you ever met anybody or, or known of someone that just absolutely has no control over their emotions? Yeah, th- we, there are people who are all over the scale. Some people are more sensitive than others. Some people are more stoic than others. But somebody that just has no filter—I <laughs> mean, you know, anything happens to them, it's just going to just go off the rails. That's like a like a like a city that has no protection. It's it's broken down. It's not you know it's not functioning like a city should with movement and commerce and activity, and then it has no walls. So anything that comes in there is going to impact what's going on there, and that's what a person that has no control over their their emotions is like. They're, they're subject to whatever pushes at them, uh, whatever conditions they find themselves in. And we're supposed to have the Holy Spirit, you know, and he is, you know, the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so we don't have to be subject to our emotions. We can control them. You know, it can take a lot of work and discipline, but we can do that. We don't have to be mastered by our emotions. And so uh, anything that controls your life, all of these examples I've given, they're all potential Uh, uh, options for being a master and controlling your life. But anything that controls your life can be your master, no matter what it is. And so we're going to serve someone or something. That's just the way that it is. Uh, That's one of the laws of the universe. And we're meant to serve God. That's really what our purpose is, is to serve him. Not only, but because of sin, sin has gotten in and messed things up. So you're either going to end up serving God, or you're going to end up serving Satan or you end up going to serving yourself. It's going to be one of those options. But you're going to serve somebody or something, and it will fall into one of those categories. And so, again, we were created to serve. But, again, we were only to serve one master. This is what Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 says. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And of course, this is the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, and Satan, you know, was trying to exercise his agenda um, and, and thinking he had authority, which he didn't. But we're only to serve the Lord. You know, that's that's who we were created to serve, is to serve him. And If we try to serve more than one master, it's it's not going to work. You may you know be able to get away with doing that, trying to juggle that for a time, but after a while, it's it's going to fail because you can have uh, those two masters, or if you had multiple masters, they're not all going to be on the same page. They're not all going to be about the same thing. And Amos three three tells us says asks the question: Can two walk together unless they are agreed? If you have a master that is out for doing good and then one that's out for doing evil and you're trying to serve both of them, well, you're going to end up schizophrenic. (laughs) You know, I mean, you're going to have a divided heart. And that's the danger of having more than one master is that your heart is going to be divided. Um, If you try to serve more than one master, you're either going to end up serving the wrong one or you could end up serving the right one but the wrong way. Because, again, you're going to have a divided heart. And this isn't something that we should take lightly. Uh, we have to choose if we're going to serve one master or not. And we have to determine who that master is going to be. And that's what Joshua put to the people um, back uh, in Joshua chapter 24, uh, talking about making a choice. And Joshua, you know, if we're familiar with this, this passage. Joshua 24, verse 14 Joshua says to the people, he says, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, of course, the people went on to say, yeah, we'll serve the Lord. And Joshua says, okay, well, we're going to see that played out. But the the point is, is that Joshua put them to a place where they had to make a choice. It's not an option here. You don't get to kind of, you know, waver and go back and forth. You have to decide. And so all of us have to get to a place where we decide and determine who we're going to serve. We have to figure out who that is and then and then put our, our flag in the ground and, and say, okay, I'm going to serve. And as believers, obviously, we're to serve the Lord. But if you if you are not um, deliberate about making that choice, then you will find yourself tossed to and fro. And you know, it doesn't mean that that you will not ever be fruitful in your walk. It doesn't mean that you know you're you're going to be cast aside by the Lord. But it, it means that you're just not going to be effective in your service and in, and in your witness because you're always going to be drugged down. Something's something's going to cause drag, you know, uh, where you're not going to be able to take flight or you're not going to be able to sail straight because there's something that's holding you. And that's because you haven't come to a conclusion and a decision. I'm going to serve the Lord. I don't care what my feelings say. I don't care what this person over here says. I don't care what the circumstances are. I'm going to serve the Lord. And that's exactly what Joshua was telling the people that they needed to to get to the place to decide upon. They needed to decide and determine we're going to serve the Lord. And so we must do that also. And uh, so, again, for the Christian, there's only one answer to the question, who are you going to serve? And, in fact, that question is already answered if you are a Christian and you've decided to follow Jesus Christ. However, there's more to our faith than just following Jesus because he's our master. He is our master. That's a fact, because of who he is. And he's the best master that we could ever have, but he's much greater than that. He's much more than just a master. He's also our Lord. And we must see him as such. We have to see him as Lord. And there's a difference between seeing Jesus just as master and seeing Jesus as Lord. As master and as Lord, we obey him both positions require our obedience. If you, if you see Jesus as, as master, that requires obedience. If you see him as the Lord, that requires obedience as well. Cause these are things that he commands and he has all the authority and the right to do so because he's God, you know, he's the one who commands the wind and the waves and they must obey him. If he commands the wind and the waves to obey him, then we probably should too. Um, he's the one who has the authority over all spirits and all flesh. That's, that's the, the the holy angels as well as the fallen angels and the demons he's got authority all of, over all of them and over all flesh that's mankind womankind cattle kind dog kind you know all flesh it's it's under his authority and um, he not only has all authority but he also has the power to back it up so you know there there are people that claim to be masters and they claim to have authority You know, uh, you're going to do what I say, but they don't have the power to do that because, you know, there's a, you know, if you don't have that power to somebody will challenge you. Oh, yeah, well, make me, (laughs) you know, you ever seen that happen? Somebody try to bully somebody like, yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, it doesn't work because they don't have the power. And, you know, sometimes people have power, but they have no authority. They they're they're not respected. They're not regarded as 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 a, a leader or a master. Jesus has both. He says in Matthew 28 20, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He, he has all authority and power. He can do whatever he wills because, again, he's God. But if you only see Jesus as master, then you're likely going to obey him either because you just know you're supposed to and not because necessarily you want to. You know, he's the Lord, he's God Almighty and I should obey him cuz he's got power and authority and and you know that's that's a right perspective to have cuz we're to fear the lord you know not to be terrified of him but to revere the fact that he is who he is he can you know be my friend and and I can have a close relationship with him but I'm never supposed to lose sight of who he is but if all I see is just him as just this master then that's going to that's going to do some that's going to hinder my relationship with him, and ultimately my effective service to him. And so, um, and, and there are people all over, uh, people all believers uh, who who struggle, who struggle with with their relationship with the Lord because they they only see him, or they they look at him as master. Now, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do because. This is what he expects of me. And so, again, if he's only your master, you can either end up serving him out of fear or out of guilt. That's a big one. That's a really common one. A lot of times believers will serve because they feel guilted in the serve. And God says, you know what? The reality is um, he can do it all by himself. He doesn't need us. He invites us. He wants us to be a part of it because he wants us to partake in his his efforts and also in the rewards. That's really why he wants us to to be involved. But it doesn't really matter necessarily so much. I mean, it does matter some what we do or don't do for him. But but a lot of Christians, excuse me, a lot of Christians um, uh, serve out of fear or in guilt or uh, something else. You know, some some other reason why they believe that um, they should serve him and but we should serve him out of the way that he wants us to serve and that's out of love. Jesus wants us to serve him out of a devotion to him which is centered around and based upon a love for him. Because that that goes way farther than any fear or any guilt will ever get us. That will produce way more fruit than than any burden some effort that we put into our service for him. And so as Lord, he goes beyond obedience. I mean, we should obey him because he's Lord, but beyond obedience, he requires that devotion. And he, com- he demands complete devotion to himself. Matthew sixteen twenty four says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He doesn't leave any room for anything else, no room for for the, the life self-desires. He addresses family and in, in, in another um, way that he states the same, same truth. Jesus demands devotion to him and solely to him. But the purpose of our devotion um, is not just for his pleasure. Um, it, it's not just because he just says, I just want you to just love me. That's not the end of it. Uh, he wants to also fill us with joy in knowing that we can please Him. I mean, the reality is that, that again, He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our service. He doesn't even need our love. But He wants it, and He's set it up where He demands that. He demands that we we have this this attitude and this heart of devotion to Him. But it's not a self-serving desire or love. It's it's out of knowing that when we do that, we fulfill our purpose. And he can also, um, when, when, we, when we express our love and our devotion to him with our life and with the things that we can do, that allows him, again, to, to fill us with the joy that he has. This is what it says in John 15, um, verses 9 through 11. When, this is what happens when we live out our devotion to Jesus through obedience. He says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And so Jesus is saying that the same joy that he had in doing the will of the father in obedience to him and in abiding in his love, he says, we'll have the same in abiding in his will. We can have that same joy and fulfillment and knowing that we are doing what is pleasing to the Lord um, by obeying him, by by living our lives in devotion to him. And uh, that's what his goal is. His goal is so that we can find pleasure in having that relationship. It's a two-way street. It's not just that he wants us to obey him just because he says so. <laughs> you know, when you're a kid, why, why do I have to do this? Because I said so. And that was some of the hardest stuff to hear often from my parents when they said, because I said so. And not understanding the reasoning that was behind it. Because there was love behind it. Um, but it goes further with the Lord. Uh, He wants to fill us with the same joy that he experiences with the father. And uh, so seeing him as master, we obey him. But seeing him as Lord, we can praise him. And the difference is in how we see our relationship to the Lord Jesus. When we know that he's out for our good, we know that he, um, that he, he asks and commands things for us. Not just arbitrarily; that he has a, a, a goal in mind, and of course, that goal is our our pleasure. Um, then, you know, we can praise him when we recognize these things because we we realize that we're not worthy of these things, but he's done them nonetheless. Uh, one of the one of the things that um, blew me away when I when I kind of put it together years ago. Uh, just thinking of, you know, we talk about uh, uh, singing songs as praise and worship to the Lord, which it is. And just how gracious God is in that he demands worship, our worship of him, and we can worship him in that manner. And so by by singing praise to the Lord, that is an act of obedience and our worship to him. But it's it's more than that. He has built into that that avenue and that, that, that method of praise that we can offer to him. He's built pleasure into that because we enjoy singing to the Lord. When you love him, you enjoy singing about him. You enjoy singing to him. You know, I'm telling you a little secret. Some of the songs that we sing when we're in a sanctuary and I sing them and, and, and there are songs where, you know, they, I can't think of any lyrics off the top of my head, but they're, um, they're collective pronouns like our and we you know, I say, I say me and I'm singing to the Lord, you know, I like you. I mean, I I changed them personally because I'm, I'm praising the Lord. And, and it's, 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 it's wonderful to be able to know that I can sing to him, which brings me pleasure that I, and, and he's also being pleased because it is a worship of him. One of his children blessing him. And that's, that's phenomenal that God has done something like that. That's something that he requires of us. He's made enjoyable, I guess is the point that I wanted to make after a lot of more words, a lot more words. <laughs> um, and, and so we can praise him as Lord because we understand who he is. He's more than just master. He's more than just someone who has power and authority over us and, and commands things of us. He's someone who loves us. He's not just the one who commands the wind and the waves to obey him. He's also the one who moved heaven and earth to save us. He's, he's, he's the one that said, Lazarus, come forth. The same one that wept at the tomb before he said, Lazarus, come forth. Isn't that something? I mean, he, he had the power and the authority to raise the dead, but before he even did that, he made the point to let us know how much he, he loved this man, Lazarus, and how broken he was over the fact that he had to go through this mess in the first place. That's something worth praising. That's, that's, that's more than just having a master. That's having a Lord. That's having someone who cares for you and you know it. And, and there, is not, there is not a condescending uh, uh, wisp of any condescension in that relationship. It is, It is. I love you, I want you to know that I love you, and I love you just because I love you. Did I say I love you? I mean, that's what a Lord does. That's the Lord that we have. And so he's, he's more than just a master. He's, he's, he is far greater than that. And so uh, we, we can see, again, the difference has to do with how we see him in our relationship. If you see him just as master, then he can, he can come across as, as cold if you're not careful. He's not, but you can perceive him that way. But if we see him as Lord, we can praise him. And uh, so looking at some examples uh, uh, we have of the difference between kind of the the master perspective and the, and the Lord perspective in terms of uh, just obedience and praise. Uh, we have in two examples of the tribes of the children of Israel, um, the tribe of Levi and the tribe of Judah. And uh, Levi... The word Levi means attached. And so this is the tribe that the Lord claimed belonged to him. And we read this in Numbers chapter 3, uh, verse 44. I'll pick it up. And Numbers chapter 3, verse 44, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you should take five shekels for each one individually. You should take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras. I didn't mean to read that verse, but there you have it. Um, so the point is that the Lord said that that tribe is his. He took them for himself. So they were the ones who served in the tabernacle and the temple, and they were the tribe that the priesthood came from. Aaron, of course, was a Levite. And so you were either born as a priest or not. You couldn't be appointed as a priest uh, and under the old covenant. Um, and you didn't have a choice. <laughs> you were born a Levite. And if you were born of the, the sons of Aaron, then you were qualified to be. And I mean, there were certain qualifications. But the, the point is, is that this was something that you didn't have anything to do with. Uh, so in one sense, the Levites were kind of like the slaves of the service of the Lord. Um, and so, you know, there's that relationship where they could just be looked at as slaves. And, you know, I'm sure that there were probably those uh, who, who were uh, children of Levi, maybe of the house of Aaron, who, if they had the wrong perspective and view of the Lord, they looked at their service as drudgery. They didn't find the joy in it. They just saw him as a master. Oh, you know, uh, it's time. It's time for my service unto the Lord, you know, uh, because, you know, it's my, my, my schedule has come up. And, you know, if we're not careful, we can fall into that same, you know, perspective, you know, because when you don't have the joy, then the service is not, the burden is not easy. It's, it's not light. It can be heavy. And we're not to have that kind of view. But then the tribe of Judah, uh, the word Judah means praise. And this is the tribe that, of course, David came from and David was a man after God's own heart, and he lived to praise the Lord. He couldn't serve in the tabernacle, but God did help him, uh, did use him to help build the temple, and David knew that he not only belonged to the Lord, but that the Lord belonged to him also. So David, you know, uh, looked at God not in a a master-servant relationship. He 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 understood who he was and that this This God that he had was, was his Lord. This is the man that wrote this in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, you know, he, he takes care of me. Every need that I have, he's got it covered. He's not going to let me ever suffer any lack. Um, He also wrote this in Psalm 27 verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, You know, David Was he ever afraid? Of course he was. He tells us the times and you read the Psalms when he was afraid, but he didn't let that stop him. He didn't let that get in the way of uh, uh, how he viewed and and worshiped and praised the Lord because he had a devotion to God. And we see that played out in his life. And so just looking at these two examples of the the tribe of Levi and the tribe of of Judah, um, one was attached that could have viewed things as we can't get away from the Lord. How horrible would that be? You know, um, you know, and God doesn't, we know this. God doesn't hold us hostage. He doesn't force us to serve him. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, uh, if 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 you want to, you know, you know, talk about, you know, Jesus talking about no one will snatch them from my hand. Well, you know, no one will snatch me from the Lord's hand. But, um, you know, he's not going to stop anybody, if they want to leave. I mean, in fact, that's what happened. Uh, in, in John chapter six, you know, there were those that listened to the teaching that Jesus, Jesus was giving about the communion. Uh, and, and they said, this is a hard saying who can, who can bear this? And they, they turned and walked away and Jesus didn't go chasing after them, you know? So, so God doesn't, you know, strong arm us. He doesn't even do that for salvation. He offers us as an invitation, as a free gift. It's free to anyone that wants it. If you want it, you can come and take it. And if you take it and you decide that you don't want it anymore, you know, you know, God will because he loves us so much. um, I believe that God does not take that lightly either. And for someone to turn away from the Lord, I mean, that's the reason we have conviction, because God loves us so much that when he sees one of his children. Beginning to stray and to backslide, he's he, he's going to intervene. He's going to do whatever he can to to make that one realize and remember and know and understand how much he truly loves them. Don't do this. Don't go there. You know, let's fix this. And he will. He is long suffering. But if an individual gets to a place where they have made up their mind, they put that stake in the sand, and they say, you know what, I'm not going to serve the Lord anymore. He says, okay, if that's what you want, it's not what I want, but if that's what you want, okay. And, uh, but that's not, that's not, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, uh, again, we have, we have a Lord who loves us and who, who cares for us deeply. And uh, he is worthy of our praise and our worship. And so um, ultimately the tribe of Judah uh, with the name praise became the dominant tribe in Israel. And that's why we call the the, the children of, of, of Israel Jews today. And so the tribe of Judah serves to praise the Lord. And uh, Jesus himself is known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so uh, to close, if if we keep our focus on loving the Lord, then we'll have joy when we serve him. And we stay in love with him when we remember how much he loves us because he does love us. And this will help us from letting other masters, no matter what they may be, come into our heart and, um, uh, and getting in the way of that, that relationship that we, we can and should have uh, with this Lord that we have. Um, but if we only see Jesus as our master, we could end up serving him only because we feel we have to. And again, this could lead to a lack of joy and service. But if we see him as Lord, then we can praise him because we want to please him. And again, the big difference is devotion to him out of love for him. And I'll close with this verse. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Let's pray. Well, Father, Lord, it is, uh, it is quite the blessing to know that you love us the way that you do, that um, uh, the Lord Jesus is indeed our Lord. He is more than just a master. He is more than just one who has command over our very lives and uh, the very air that we breathe. He is also the one who has chosen to, uh, to come to rescue us and to make us uh, your own. And so, Lord, because of uh, the salvation that is offered to us through Christ, we can have uh, a living relationship with you and, and understand that we can praise and worship you and that be received and not have to feel burdened to do that, but to do it because we, we love to. And we do indeed love these things. And so may you bless us. May you continue to uh, strengthen our heart as we wait upon you and uh, that great day when we will stand before you. May you get us all home safely, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.